Hey, everybody. I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling, coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Balmy, Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined again this week by the godfather of the track wrestling rankings, <laughs> David Mirkatani. How's the weather in St. Louis today, David? It's good. It's Valentine's Day. Every week I just wait to hear the uh, the intro. This was a good one. How are you, Andy? Doing great. Lots of stuff to cover today. Duels, duels controversies, a look at uh, what's to come in the next week, and an update on the track wrestling rankings. The track wrestling rankings are brought to you by FantasyGrade.com and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country? Prove it. Go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live event, online event, or both. David, I'm going to let you steer the ship a little bit today. Where do you want to begin? we got a ton of stuff to cover. It could be scary letting me run this thing a little bit. So um... <laughs> You're the godfather. <laughs> Give me a short leash. So... I mean, I guess to me, some of the interesting things are what obviously what happened uh, last week. Um, the Iowa Nebraska duel was really interesting to me, just that Iowa won seven matches because on paper it actually looked like Nebraska could win that meet. And it was also interesting that Lambert wrestled Gilman close. So, um, you know, I. Gilman's clearly the favorite at that weight, but he's had a close match, and he's had a match where he's, he's come back. So that's interesting. Um, Jose Rodriguez coming all the way back against Lezak was, was really interesting. Lezak had another lead and lost it. I think I read somewhere he might be sick, but you know, he's always going to have to either get well or get his cardio better to make a deep run because he's the scariest guy in the country at that weight on top. Um, Ohio State did really well against Nebraska as well. I know you and I talked off air about the Miles Martin Dudley match, and you know when we get into the rankings, that that made things really complicated. Um, Mark Hall tech falling Zach Brunson, it, it kind of makes kind of makes the Christian Brucky match and the uh, the Alex Meyer match seem really far away, doesn't it? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, you know that that Meyer has such a hard time with Brunson, and he beats Hall, and then Hall beats. Brunson seven or sixteen to one. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah. I, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, Travis Johnson, um, our Big Ten and ACC correspondent, lives out there in State College, and uh, he sent some video back from that dual meet. One of the things that Mark Hall talked about was trying to keep his weight up and doing a better job of keeping his weight up. And you know, remember we talked uh, um, a few weeks back after that Meyer Hall match, and and just how. Uh, there seemed to be a noticeable difference in size between Alex Meyer and Mark Hall. Mark Hall looked uh, undersized in that match. And so, um, you know, that that was an interesting point to hear that out of Mark Hall's mouth the other night. But, man, he, uh, you know, he, like a lot of the Nittany Lions, can put up a lot of points in a short amount of time when they get things going. Yeah, and it clearly impacts the team race. But yeah, he's a he's he looks like a sixty five pounder who's just that good. Yeah. Um Massa Jordan too, and you know, a lot of the controversy this weekend were guys that sat and didn't wrestle. So big shout out to Logan Massa, especially for not protecting a seed and wrestling. Um you sent sent me and my friend the the video of the Clark Montoya match and 
that was a crazy match, and then the throat slash and all that stuff afterwards. And then, you know, the Northern Iowa uh, Mizzou duel was really shocking, especially to those of us in Missouri. Um, it was just kind of everything Mizzou just came out really kind of listless, and it was senior day, and it was Jaden Cox bobblehead day. And they actually did a, a clinic for the young kids, to, you know, in, for a two-hour clinic ahead of time. So I don't know if they were just distracted or whatever, but that threw a monkey wrench into the national duels as well. Um, I thought Colin so Moore. Was, Go ahead. I, I want to stop you there for a second just because we're on that topic. I mean, you talk about what uh, what a stunner it was to people in Missouri, and I think it's probably a stunner to a lot of people that watched Northern Iowa the week before uh, because – you know, Oklahoma handed it to Northern Iowa the previous Sunday, and, and you look at how that, that duel unfolded, you know, over the course, you know, both duels. Um, for instance, uh, uh, the, the previous week against Oklahoma, Northern Iowa forfeited at heavyweight. J.J. Everard's um, been out with, a you know, I think a knee injury, and Northern Iowa's been forfeiting there. And, uh, um, you know, the Panthers opted to let uh, – to wrestle Jared Bartell in that match. They draw heavyweight, which was probably not what Doug Schwab wanted to see, but they drew heavyweight as the first match. Bartell comes out, and he's been a 197-pound uh, backup, um, kind of in and out of the lineup for most of his career. Uh, has not competed, had not competed since November, I think, 18th. And uh, he gets a big win for the Panthers right out of the gate. Then you look at uh, Jay Schwarm uh, the week before had, had gotten majored. Um, by Christian Moody in the Oklahoma yeah. duel. He comes out, he beats Barlow McGee. You go to 49, Max Thompson got beat the previous week by Davion Jeffries. Um, he bounces back, takes out LeVon Mays. And then Bryce Steyer the week before had gotten uh, pinned by uh, Jawante Mejias, and he turns it around and, and pins Daniel Lewis. So it was about as big of a 180 uh, both individually and team-wise, uh, that you're going to see from a team uh, in the top 25 over the course of a, a one-week stretch. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really crazy, and it it, it, it changed a lot of things. Where we get into the rankings, uh, it will definitely you know have an impact. One of the things you and I talked about, and I actually just got a text from my friend Ethan Kyle at Wyoming. Um, you and I were curious on they wrestled Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on the same day, and I asked him how the weigh-ins were, and what he said was that Oklahoma State weighed in at the same time as the other two schools. So I guess, you know, they did that somehow on the honor system, but that was interesting looking at the scheduling there. Um, I, Colin Moore getting closer to Brett Farr. I mean, I'm a, I don't know Colin Moore, but... I just, if somebody said, what do I think? I think that kid's going to end up being a two or three time national champion. He just looks better and better every time I, I watch him wrestle. And then I guess really the last thing that, you know, before we get into what's coming up is Oklahoma State just domination at Bedlam and win nine out of 10 matches and they sit Schaefer. And, and what's scary is on paper, it doesn't look very good for them this weekend. I mean, it's just kind of frightening how good of a season they've had. They scored almost 200 points at Scuffle, and, and I know we're going to talk about the duel at Penn State, but it's kind of crazy. For sure. Well, let's uh, take a look at, at the rankings this week and where things shake out from a, a team and individual standpoint. 
Penn State remains the clear number one, 108 and a half advancement and placement points that the Nittany Lions are projected to score based on the track wrestling rankings. Oklahoma State cuts a little bit into that deficit. It's down to 15 now. The Cowboys at 93 and a half, followed by Ohio State at 90. Iowa at number four at 80 points. Virginia Tech at five with 66 and a half. Nebraska at six with 59 and a half. Missouri at seven with 49. Lehigh at eight with 43. Cornell at nine with 37 and a half and then Illinois jumps back into the top 10 at 36 and a half it's been really interesting watching those you know eight nine ten eleven twelve teams kind of interchange here over the course of the last couple months on the individual front uh at 125 pounds you mentioned Rodriguez and Lezak at the top David Rodriguez falls behind 6-0 comes back huge third period Takes out Lezak 12 to 10 in overtime. So Lezak drops a notch from six to seven. Darian Cruz goes up to six. Uh, Rodriguez checks in this week at number 16. Kind of interesting to see how his season has evolved. He had that close loss to uh, Joey Dance uh, out in the finals of the Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational. He's uh, had a rough go of it here in the last, uh, uh, basically since the beginning of January. A um, couple, t- couple tough matches uh, in there for him, but uh, maybe he's starting to get it going again. At 133 pounds, uh, you mentioned Eric Montoya and Corey Clark. They trade places after Montoya's wild 9-6 win in Carver-Hawkeye Arena. That match was tied going to the third period. Things got really crazy in the third, particularly in the final minute, but Montoya escaped to, to start the period. Clark scored a takedown. Montoya reversed Clark to his back for six in a Peterson position, and then Clark came back out on top. David, when when you watched that flurry on video, what did you what did you think about the way that uh, uh, things got really wild there, and and uh, just kind of your your observations from that match, from from that uh, point in the match that you saw. I think one, I think the referee did a good job. Two, it just wasn't an easy call. Three, it reminded me a little bit of the Cordy Clark Stevon Misik match where, you know, he had that ride and it looked like a reversal and it wasn't given and it probably wasn't. But when he puts that, you know, in that side headlock or Merkel or whatever you want to call it, that ride, it's, he scores back points off of it, but he's susceptible to reverses there. So you know, I think if he's got a lead, he might want to go to a different ride. If, if he's tied or losing, you know, then it seems like, a, you know, a smarter position for him to be in. I think the other thing that's really, Interesting, because I always look at rankings and seedings looking forward. Montoya beat Seth Gross. And so, you know, because Montoya beat Clark, if Montoya makes the finals of the Big Ten, assuming Tomasella wins the Big Ten, that's Seth Gross and Cade Brock, the best they can be is three and four, you know, especially if Seth Gross wins. Now, if Cade Brock wins and, you know, Avengers has lost to Gross, he's probably the two seed. So, those matches are going to have a huge impact on seeding and the matchups, the quarterfinal matchups at those, at that weight, the top eight are really interesting. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I really don't think Dom Forrest is going to end up getting the eight seed. He's like something in one and he's going to end up, if he wrestles, you know, well, it's not a super deep conference. He's going to win the ACC. I really think he's going to end up getting the five, six or seven seed. 
So I, I, the matchups in the quarters there are going to be really entertaining on Friday morning, I think. Well, yeah, that's going to be a uh, interesting case there with Force. Um, you mentioned the one loss uh, to Brock, which was a, a, a you know pretty close to a major. I think it was a seven point decision, if I'm not mistaken. It was. It was. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, does he have the quality of wins to put him over those top seven guys? You know, most of you know the top seven, all Big Ten, Big Twelve guys. Big Ten is going to be pretty fascinating too. You know, at 133 yeah. pounds, that's going to be a lot of fun just to see how that might might get seated at this point. I think right now you're probably looking at uh, Tomasello as the one, Montoya as the two, uh, Clark uh, at three, Richards at four, Michich at five would be my guess. Um, I would too, yeah. And then Mitch McKee six and probably Delvecchio seven. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, my friend and I were talking about this, and he's like, well, Forrest hasn't beaten anybody. And then we looked at it. Hadn't beat anybody above him, but he hadn't wrestled anybody above him except Brock. But he has yep. like seven top 25 wins. So he hasn't wrestled a bad schedule. He just hasn't wrestled an elite schedule. So yep. he's beaten everybody they rolled out in front of him except Brock. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Also at 133 pounds, Buffalo's Brian Lantry posted a win Friday night against Northern Iowa's Josh Alber. Lantry comes or climbs up three spots to number 14. Seems like Buffalo's starting to make a move uh, in the math a little bit. At 141 pounds, no changes in the top nine. Dean Heil won the rematch of last year's NCAA final bout, beating Wyoming's Bryce Meredith 7-5. to five. Heil, of course, remains unbeaten and ranked number one, while Mer- Meredith is eighth. Unlike some other weights that we're going to be talking about a little bit later, it feels like there's, uh, you know, there's a tier in that top eight where all those guys wrestle pretty close matches, and then we've seen a lot of movement in that second tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nebraska's Colton McChrystal was ranked tenth last week. He falls five notches to number fifteen after dropping decisions to Ohio State's Luke Pletcher and Iowa's Topher Carton. One other result worth mentioning, Oregon State's Jack Hathaway popped into the rankings this week at number 25 after posting a 7-0 win against CSU Bakersfield's Russell Rolfing, who dropped from 16 to 19. At 149 pounds, so for the second straight week, David, you had a uh, Max Thompson-fueled conundrum here. Uh, we mentioned Thompson down LeVon Mays 9-2 on Sunday. You wound up bumping Mays um, from four down to five, moving Micah Jordan up to four, and you left Solomon Chisco, Justin Oliver, and Thompson where they were at six, seven, and eight. Can you explain how you got to that point? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, guys like you and my other friends we've mentioned before help with this, and, you know, really felt like Thompson, he – he beat Lugo and beat Gardner, um, you know, but he'd lost to Justin Oliver. So, and then Chisco and just Chisco. beat Spino. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he lost to Chisco as well, and then Chisco just beat Spino. So it kind of felt like everything was right with the one exception that he beat Mays. It was, it, I didn't see the match, but the score was 7 or 9 to 2, so clearly it wasn't a close match. But Mays has a really good uh body of work especially for the last couple of years and you know he's only lost to Kalika and then he, he beat Kalika. Um I I really I almost struggle with just leaving him at four. But you know, he lost, 
Micah Jordan's only lost to guys above him. Um, the MAC at 149 is going to be really interesting, right, with Mays and Oliver and Thompson, mm-hmm. and then uh, and Steve Blees. I mean, we have you have four top 14 guys there. That's going to be really interesting as well. And then you know, obviously the Big Ten will be interesting. Um, but yeah, I just I, I think. You know, and, and I've made mistakes during the year, maybe overreacted to a match or two. We, I don't think we, I don't think I overreacted to Thompson's loss, and then the win just feels like it kind of justified not overreacting. I guess maybe that's the best way to say it. Yeah, you make uh, the point about the MAC at 149. It's going to be interesting to see how that's seated, since those guys are uh, all one and one um, when when you put them into a threesome there. You know, with. Yeah. Uh, Mays owning the win over Oliver. Oliver owning the win over Thompson. Thompson owning the win over Mays. We got a you know kind of an infinite loop there. So, um, you know, uh, moving ahead to 157 pounds, no changes in the top 13. But there's you know, some stuff worth talking about here. Michael Kemmerer and Tyler Berger had another scrap. Kemmerer won again using a first period takedown to pull out a three to two decision. Uh, Kemmerer had another shot where he was in deep in the first period, didn't finish. Berger had a chance to score late on the edge of the mat. Close to a takedown, just out of bounds. Uh, Once again, some terrific scrambles in this match. I suspect we're going to see part three of this series in a few weeks at the Big Ten Championships. At least uh, I'm hoping we do at some point in that tournament (laughs) because these two have been a lot of fun to watch. At 165 pounds, top five remains the same, and then the next five turned into a Rubik's Cube, uh, thanks to Bryce Steyer's pin against Daniel Lewis. Ultimately, uh, Anthony Valencia moved up to six, followed by Chandler Rogers, Daniel Lewis, Steyer, and Austin Matthews. How'd you get there, David? There are certain rankings you, you put in, and you feel very, very strong conviction. You know, you feel like, look, there is no other argument. This is right, and I know why it's right. And there's other ones where you eventually just have to put a number next to a guy's name, but you know as soon as you do it, there's an argument against it. I mean, there's an argument for Daniel Lewis to be, I think, really as high as five. I think, and I think he can't really be lower than eight. I think it's probably a recency bias. He just lost to Styert. And, you know, then when we were talking about this, you know, it's like, are you going to really put him above Styert when he just got pinned by him? Because Styert and Max Thompson are two guys that have had really sneaky seasons, especially Styert because, you know, he went in for Cooper Moore. And so, you, you know, in your brain, you go, well, he's, he's probably going to be okay, be serviceable. You don't think of him as an All-American candidate, and he's really had a good season. The guy that screws up these rankings the most is Chandler Rogers because he keeps pinning guys and getting pinned by people. And, you know, his, in scientific terms, he has very wide variance. And uh, a friend of mine and I like to pick matches, and I just sit there and I go, I'll pick a pin in the match with Mejia. So I don't, you know, we're laughing about it, and sure enough, that's what happened. So <laughs> I could see even reevaluating this. After this weekend, you know, just based on what happens, you know, certainly if Chandler Rogers were to beat Vincenzo, he would move up. But, you know, I, I guess maybe not so much because Lewis and Steyer won't wrestle, but just crazy. I mean, like we said when we first ranked Mark Hall, usually it's pretty simple. You, you know, you take a guy like, you know, say Isaiah Martinez at this weight. Okay, if you lost Isaiah Martinez, it doesn't get held against you. Okay, that means he leaves Logan Massa. 
okay, now if you've lost to those guys, it doesn't get held against you. And in the first four or five, that's how it's gone. And then it's just insanity after that. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out at, at regionals and at nationals. Well, 174 made it easy for you this week. No changes in the top 23. At 184, we've been talking all year about the depth at 184, particularly in the Big Ten. We've been waiting to see if Miles Martin would put it together late in the season like he did a year ago when he won the NCAA title at 174. Remains to be seen if he's going to have that type of meteoric rise again, but Friday night was certainly a good sign for the Ohio State sophomore he took down Tim Dudley of Nebraska 11-5 to and looked strong in doing so. We said a week ago it was going to be a big weekend for Iowa Sam Brooks. Turns out it wasn't. Brooks didn't wrestle Friday night against Indiana's Nate Jackson, and then Dudley didn't wrestle Sunday against Brooks. When the dust settled, uh, Brooks checked in at three, followed by Dudley, Jackson, Zach Zavatsky, Nolan Boyd, Jack Deckow, and Martin at number nine. At 197, no movement in the top nine, but a lot of guys moving around in that second 10. Central Michigan's Austin Severn climbs five spots to number 13. Old Dominion's Kevin Beasley moves up five to 14. Corey Grigo of Oregon State comes back into the rankings at 20. At heavyweight, no changes in the top 17 and only subtle changes throughout. Well, let's move on. Um, Look ahead to... Next weekend, this coming weekend, the duels on the docket ahead. David, what uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with uh, national duels? You want to start with the dual concept in general? Or you about... want to get right to Penn State, o- Oklahoma State? <laughs> Let's close with Penn State, Oklahoma State. Let's talk a little bit about this national duels thing because, you know, if you're just a fan, which, you know, I, I you know, I think we are. I mean, we do a little more than that. Certainly you do. You want to see the best matchups, and it's super disappointing when you look at, like, the NWCA coaches' rankings and how many of the teams are not participating. It, it Frankly, it, it stinks that Iowa's not wrestling Virginia Tech. You know, we really wanted to see that match. You know, it would have been nice to see either Northern Iowa or Missouri in this thing. Um, you know, philosophically, it just doesn't seem like all the coaches are really interested in being involved in this. It certainly feels like with the changing of the guard at Minnesota, that Minnesota doesn't feel the same way about it with uh, Coach Agum as they did with, with Coach Robinson, you know, because they were, they were the leaders, I think, along with, you know, Tom Ryan and Brian Smith in, in, in championing how important uh, dual meets are. So there are some really good dual meets, though. I mean, Ohio State Cornell is interesting. I think Michigan – North Carolina State has some good matches. Rutgers-Lehigh looks like it'll be close. And I actually think Nebraska-Virginia Tech's going to be an awesome duel to watch. I think there's a bunch of really cool matchups in there. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, I, I think they got to figure out a way to do this, whether it's to split the season or to add a date. Um, I'm actually fooling around with the proposal right now. I'll probably have it done by the end of uh, March that I'll probably – you know, talk to you about and see if we can, you know, put it in the hands of the NWCA and see what they think because the contract is up for this two-year thing, so nobody knows what's even going to happen next year, right? Yeah, it's uh, certainly interesting. I mean, you know, you can't imagine that uh, this format, as currently constructed, can can exist a year from now. I mean, just just even think about Arizona State. I mean, 
you know, what if they're the number one team outside the Big Ten next year, which which is a real possibility. I mean, obviously Oklahoma State's going to be loaded again, but but Arizona State adds Milhoff and starts to sit into a lineup uh, that's that's knocking on the door to the top ten in the, in the individual rankings. Um, but the Pac Pac twelve is not in this. So right. at that point, at that point, I mean, you know, how do you sell a, a number one versus two matchup or, or Big Ten versus non Big Ten matchup? If if we're dropping down to the best Big Ten team against the second best non Big Ten team, and you know you're right, there there just hasn't seemed like there was a complete buy-in from the beginning of this concept. Uh, you know, Minnesota, Illinois, Wisconsin out on the Big Ten side of things. Um, it just seems like uh, we have to find a concept that's going to work that everybody is going to buy into. You know, we've talked. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to Tom Ryan about it. Um, he's a strong proponent of the dual meet concept and making it where dual meets have consequences towards the end of the season. Uh, and, and, you know, he even brought this up a couple of weeks ago when they wrestled Iowa, you know, when Corey Clark didn't wrestle Tomasello and, and Kyle Snyder was uh, off at the Eureka. And he said, you know, if there are real end of the year consequences, it, it, uh, it changes things, you know. Corey Clark's probably in the lineup for Iowa, and Kyle Snyder's probably not leaving to go overseas, and he's in the Ohio State lineup. But uh, the point that Tom Ryan has made time and again is, is we have an aging fan base in the sport. We need to capture a younger audience, and and uh, he really feels like like the duels have to have some end of the season consequence, and and uh, I don't know what that is. I don't know if. That means we go to a hybrid model where uh, points, you, you know, you accrue points through the dual tournament and, and those set you up for the NCAA championships team race. Um, you know, that was kind of something I wrote about like four or five years ago when they were yeah. uh, um, kicking around the the, uh, uh, the possibility of making the duels the championship event. Um, you, you know, I, I really don't know. You know, one of the ideas that uh, the, that I've um, talked to friends about that, uh, you know, the way the schedule is currently constructed, uh, it, you know, there's so much weight towards the back half of the season on, on the individual tournament in March that uh, I think you're going to have a hard time shoehorning the dual tournament into late February. And in, in terms of visibility, not, not just in, in terms of what college coaches are trying to do to get their teams ready to compete in March, but, but also from a promotion standpoint, think about all the events that are going on this year, like this weekend around the country, you know, with state championships. state tournaments events. going on right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. all, you know, I, I mean, you think back to the year that uh, it was up in, in Minneapolis, and it was Oklahoma State against Minnesota in the national duels finals, and there were 2,500 people in the stands. And, and yeah. they were trying to go head to head the same day as the the, the Minnesota State qualifier, you know, state qualifier. And, and so, I mean, not only are we trying to get away from, you know, uh, we're trying to get away from basketball and March Madness in, in March, but but here we're we're also um, not competing just against basketball. We're competing against wrestling, you know, because we're cutting right. out a huge portion of our fan base just because they're they're watching their you know sons and daughters and brothers um, competing in in state championship events. And so I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Um, 
But uh, one of the things that, I, you know, I mean, I sit here and I look at the way that the season's currently constructed, and, and I, I think that, um, you know, we're kind of beating our heads against the wall trying to put it into February when, when maybe we ought to be looking at uh, March, or excuse me, at December instead and, and you know, sending all um, 77 teams off to uh, eight regionals, eight to ten team regionals on college campuses that you know that lead the nation in attendance the previous year or two. Let them be the host sites, um, and then have a predetermined uh, championship event a week or two later at at uh, yeah, or excuse me, at a, at a predetermined destination, and, and try to alternate it. I mean, like like this year, the NCAA's are in St. Louis. You know, put the dual championship out in Pittsburgh, or or next year when the NCAA's are in Cleveland, move the duels down to Oklahoma City, but uh, just a way that uh, we can see championship, a second championship level event. Um, everybody gets involved, and uh, uh, also there's plenty of time for uh, for coaches to get their lineups back together for March. I, I don't know what you think about that. I don't know what your ideas are, David. I'd love to hear them, but uh, well, you know, you, I just I just think we're having a hard time with this. Yeah, marketing is obviously an issue, and one of the solutions that people have talked about is making it a second semester sport, and I actually was originally really for that, having coached and dealing with eligibility issues and trying to keep guys healthy and trying to wrestle your meets, you know, when you're trying to go to state tournaments and recruit and all that kind of stuff, and that would solve a lot of it, but one of the things that people don't know, and it's nobody's fault, they just haven't thought of it, is if you do that, Every city in the country that has either an NHL or an NBA team will not be able to host the Nationals. So think about all the places that have hosted them recently. They're all going to pretty much be off the board. What you're going to have left with is really Kansas City, Atlanta, um, you know, Omaha, uh, Louisville. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those places, but I know the NCAA probably wants to move it around like they have been. But, you know, here in St. Louis, we've got the Blues, and if that happened, the, the hockey is going to take precedence. So Yeah, let's make, thing, no. let's make one thing clear. Why you're explaining that to our, our listeners is because of the playoffs, you know, the playoff implications. Right. Yeah. Where, where yeah. you know, in March, you can schedule the arenas based on, on regular seasons. And, and, Correct. And, you know, the Blues can get away uh, for, that, for a that week in yeah. March. Um, yeah. But uh, it's a little bit harder to do with, uh, you know, without getting, you know, the NBA and NHL involved and committing to, to work on the schedules around uh, uh, venue concerns like that. I think that's a huge hurdle that uh, is, a, is a very good point on your part that, that I, I agree. I don't think a lot of people have taken that into consideration. I hadn't thought of it. And I talked to a friend of mine and he's like, well, if that happens, goodbye to the Nationals being here. I'm like, what? And he explained to me, I'm like, oh, my God. So there is no easy solution. There's a lot of smart people thinking about this. I mean, I'm going to put my hand in the ring and try to come up with something, you know, but the ultimate analogy, and then, you know, maybe we can talk about the duels coming up, is you compare the basketball season and the football season in college, and it's completely different, right? Like in basketball, you see all these great regular season matchups, which is great. It's really fun for ESPN and those channels, but – they don't really mean anything. All they change is a seed. And then they do the seeds by regions, you know, somewhat anyway. So it really doesn't matter. You know, all the good teams are going to make it in the bracket of 60, however many teams it is now, 67 or 68. 
where the college football season every week of the playoff. You know, like Michigan, Ohio State was basically a quarterfinal game this year. And right now the wrestling has the duels have even less impact than a regular season basketball game. So they've got to try to figure out a way to have it have at least some impact. But it's really two different sports. I will say this. What's what's the best dual meet you've seen all season? Can you can you think of any off the top of your head? I will really enjoy Oklahoma State, Iowa. I really enjoyed uh, I mean, yeah, I watched a couple of the Big Ten duels, like the Iowa duel against uh, Penn State. I mean, they weren't close, but, yeah, they're really good duels. Okay. Yeah, those are good. I, I think from an excitement standpoint, one of the best that I've seen all year was South Dakota State, Oklahoma. And you think oh, about yeah. Yeah. You yeah. think about the, the end-of-the-season consequences on that, and there really were none because South Dakota State was getting into this championship series as an old – uh, Western Wrestling Conference representative, um, okay. Oklahoma, yeah. had, had lost the duel to Oklahoma State, and then, then they turned around and lost the second one here th- this past weekend. But but I think to me, you know, I, I think, you know, when you look at it when as a whole, um, do we really need to make end-of-the-season dual meets matter? I mean, I think that's an interesting question because if you can create the kind of buzz that Chris Bono has up – at South Dakota State, that Chris Bono and John Reeder and company have done up there and, and packed gymnasiums or packed their arena like they have, Frost Arena, with, you know, you know they're getting a few thousand, you know, yeah. every time out and, and create that kind of buzz. I, I think the sport has a lot of, you know, a lot of room to grow. I mean, look at, uh, you know, look at what Kale's done at, at Penn State. Look at what Tom Ryan's done at, at Ohio State. They've, they've created that because of, of, you know, having exciting wrestlers, winning, uh, winning's going to do a lot. Um, you know, it, you know, if if that Penn State Ohio State duel did, did people come out to that because you know potential Big Ten championship is riding on the outcome, or did they come out for it because of the opportunity to watch Kyle Snyder and Nathan Tomasello and Jason Nolf and Zane Rutherford and Bo Nickel and Miles Martin? I don't know. I, I, I almost wonder if, if like, we're, we're spending so much time trying to figure out this dual thing that, um, you know, we're just kind of getting lost on what, what, you know, the pathway is to really grow in the sport. And that's, you know, getting out and promoting your program and, and being in the community. Like, you know, you you, you had John Reeder on as your, your guest on Match Hat a week ago. And he right. talked about yeah. uh, one of the interesting things he talked about was just, you know, having like a round table at a at a local um, restaurant or something, and, yeah. and you know, interacting with fans, and I, you know, I, I almost wonder if if stuff like that, you know, and and really pounding the pavement, recruiting and development and things like that, if 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 our coaches are just you know, burning too much energy on trying to figure out this dual thing, and it's just all about you know, just getting down to promoting your program and, and having a good entertaining product on the mat. And that's, that's what's going to move the needle and, and keep the sport moving forward. Because look at how many people were in the stands at Ohio State against Penn State. You know, we never saw that before. Ten years ago, we never saw that. Um, look at You're the right. crowds that Kale, Kale is bringing in and putting yeah. in rec hall every time out. Um, Iowa continues. Right. Rutgers, Princeton, Iowa continues to draw crowds upwards of 10,000. Um, you know, I mentioned South Dakota State. They're drawing crowds that they've never drawn before. Um, I, I feel like 
you know, we are on the right path as a sport just by looking at, at some of those places and, and the jobs that they're doing. And I see programs um, elsewhere, you know, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech, um, that they're coming along. I think the sport is heading in the right direction. And, and you know, I, I don't want to see, like, you know, too many things get derailed just because we can't figure out this dual equation because I think, I think we are on the right path. I agree. We do have a weird sport, though, where – the vast majority of meets are held or contests are held in one format and then the nationals are held in another format. And we're the only sport that's like that. So that makes it yep. very, very difficult. Yeah. And, and that's another you know, part of the equation too. It's, it's, uh, that's why I think duels are important because you're talking about, you know, an hour and a half that, uh, mm-hmm. you look at our society now and, and our attention spans and, you know, do we have the attention span, you know, to attract new fans to come into the arena and sit there for eight hours for a tournament. Um, you know, like the Midlands, like the Southern Scuffle, like Cliff Keen, um, and so on and so forth. Hard I think to keep track of the scores too, right? I mean, a, yep, a person so much doesn't understand on. wrestling. Yeah. I mean, you're watching the dual meet, you're watching, you know, this weekend, orange against blue. If, if blue wins more matches, they're probably winning. You know, it's, you know, not like what's going on at match seven. You know, what I mean, it's yep. it's hard to follow, and you're trying to grow new fans. It's not an easy puzzle, for sure. If it was easy, no, somebody absolutely. would have figured it out. That's the problem. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. we have a lot of smart people that are working on it, for sure. I mean, there are a lot of bright people in wrestling, and and uh, I'm confident that in time we'll get it figured out. But uh, it's it's a difficult equation now with the way the schedule's constructed. But all that being said, we're going to have a hell of a dual meet Sunday in Stillwater. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and we're going to have some great duels elsewhere as well. But uh, let's let's go to that one. Um, yeah. When you look at this thing on paper, you you, you mentioned at Oklahoma State, uh, you know, they're not favored in a lot of matches there, but uh, certainly looks like it, it could be a dynamite dual meet on paper. Yeah, I think you know clearly the consensus is that Penn State's favored to win this thing. So I think maybe the interesting way to look at it is what is the path to victory for Oklahoma State. And so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're an orange and black fan, but somewhat of a realist, you figure maybe Suriano wins 25. Kate Brock has to get big, big bonus at 33. Tucker Penn, Ohio wins 41 against Gulliban in, in this scenario. And then Colic has always kept Rutherford close. Joe Smith has wrestled Knopf close. So your best case scenario, probably your 9-9 after those matches. I'm going to skip 65 because to me that feels like that's the duel, the match of the duel. You know, 74, Hall B. Crutchmer, you know, but they're ranked very close. 84, you know, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you have to hope that Nickel can keep, or Boyd can keep Nickel close. You have to have a win from Weigel at 97. Um, and then I don't know if Schaefer's going to wrestle, but if Schaefer wrestles, him and Neville's are ranked very, very close to each other. So, you know, to me, the 65 match, you know, most matches are a, a six-point swing, plus three, minus three. It really feels like that match could be a 12-point swing, you know, because they both go for stuff, and they're both not afraid to lock up upper body. So, I mean, that match could get really ugly, but I think if unless you're rooting for one of those two teams, you're just you're probably rooting for it to be really competitive. So, um, you know, it's... Penn State's really good, and, I mean, and you and I talked about this, you know, off the air. I think they're going to be better next year. That's just kind of scary. So, you know, 
it definitely feels like they, they've peaked the first half of their schedule, not being that tough, them not getting go, to go to Reno. Clearly they know what they're doing up there at State College because it, it hasn't really screwed anybody up at all. No, absolutely not. I mean, those guys are, you know, we mentioned, uh, I think a week ago, the, the bonus or the, or the dominant statistic and, and, uh, you know, four guys, I think in the top eight or nine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Suriano's certainly lighting it up against, um, a lot of guys as well. So he, you know, he's not far off that list. Um, Jimmy Gillibon seems like he's starting to put it together a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's a team that uh, you know outside of 33 where they lost Cortez and uh, you know Carpenters. I, I I don't think he's gotten pinned yet, but uh, you know they've given up some bonus points at at, at 33 majors and in, in techs. Um, uh-huh. But outside of there, it, it's a team that's it's pretty solid top to bottom. Neville's really starting to wrestle well, and and that'll be one where. I don't know what the status is of Austin Schaefer. He's been off the mat here for a while, or at least out of competition for a while. Uh, right. That's one that, uh, you know, Oklahoma State needs, uh, you know, needs to get that guy back and get him wrestling the way he was for, uh, you know, the first three or four, you know, three months of the season, November, December, January, he was, he was put together quite a season. So uh, that could be a key there. Um any other uh, of the dual championship series matches that, uh, you know, individually or dual-wise that uh, you think are going to be pretty compelling? I really hope we see Bo Jordan against Rio Buto. Um, I, that's one I really hope for. I'm really hoping I think we will see Lambert against Joey Dance, Studebaker against Hot, uh, Dudley Zavatsky, uh, Colin Jensen-Walls. I mean, those are all really good matches. Um, Gilman, Sean Russell, I mean, that'll be interesting. Um, and then, you know, kind of, uh, below the radar, but this guy always comes through big time at the national tournament to see how UT does with Sean Fawes and then Misik against, uh, Jamal Morris in the Michigan North Carolina state duel. So, um, yeah, it's a shame that, uh, it's a shame that Max Roshkoff is out because that was a fun match with him and Brian. <laughs> oh Murphy. yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, NC State's done a really good job bouncing back from injuries. And, you know, they redshirted Renda this year, too. So, I mean, you know, the future is bright for those guys. They were on Matt Chat a couple weeks ago, and they're definitely cooking down there as well. Anything else? No, be watching a lot of uh, lot of data this weekend, following a lot of state tournaments. I do want to wish everybody good luck that's wrestling in their state tournaments this weekend. I know Missouri is. Um, I think Iowa is a lot of my friends yep. from around the country. So, um, you know, people are chasing those yellow medals. I want to wish everybody the best of luck. And this will be the really hectic week next week. We, I think we'll only have to change rankings for the Pac-12. And then it's one final set of rankings after the rest of the conference tournament. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be staying near the computer and then watching as much of this stuff as I can. I know Track's got a lot of these meets. So it'll be a good place to watch a bunch of those. Yep, indeed. We have a ton of wrestling coming to you on track wrestling. Uh, as David mentioned, a bunch of high school state championship events are going to be live streamed on track wrestling. We got the World Cup uh, coming to you over the course of the next couple of days from Iran. That stuff, uh, three national dual championship uh, series uh, dual meets 
the uh, uh, dual meets Rutgers at Lehigh. Um, we've got Ohio State at Cornell, and then we've also got Indiana at Appalachian State. Check those out. Thank you once again, David Mirakatani, for bringing us the track wrestling rankings, which are brought to you by Fantasy Grade and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country? Prove it. Go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live event, online event, or both. Thanks once again, David. Thank you. And people don't know this, but literally in a month will be the first time we get to shake hands face-to-face and probably do our final podcast of the season together. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's going to be fun. For sure. And and as a uh, – while we got you here um, – Give a little plug to your uh, border brawl. Why don't you tell uh, our listeners what that's all about? The, the people that are going to be coming to St. Louis, uh, if they want to come in a day early, day or two yes. early prior to the NCAA championships, you're going to see some high right. level wrestling. Yeah, the uh, the Missouri border brawl is on that Tuesday, the 14th, and it's 11 high school matches. It's the best seniors from Missouri against the best seniors from the eight bordering states. This year, it's primarily Iowa, Oklahoma, and Illinois. But we also have three senior-level matches. We've got Joey Laser, Josh Kindig. We've got Justin, uh, or sorry, uh, Tommy Gant against Jordan Oliver. And then the main event is Nashon Garrett against Alan Waters. And those guys will be wrestling freestyle matches. Um, we're doing it on the same mat as the national tournament. We've got, for the high school uh, portion, the same referees that work the national finals. Um, it's for Randy Couture's charity, the Extreme Couture GI Foundation. He and Dan Henderson will be in attendance. And uh, we hold it in the host hotel, St. Louis Union Station. So it's a, it's a pretty cool event. We raised a lot of money the last time. We're trying to do the same thing again. And um, I think we'll actually be doing our, our podcast from there that day. If people want to buy tickets, they can go to cagetix.com and just search Missouri Border Brawl. We do have some good tickets left. And uh, the kids love it. We have a ton of sponsors. Maybe we can talk about that more next week. But it's it's really been – it's a labor, but it's a labor of love. And, and some big-time kids wrestled in this the last time. Kate Brock, Jaden Ironman, Max Thompson, Joe Smith, Jacob Holslog, uh, Marcus Simmons. I mean, a bunch of kids that are starting now at, at, and, and are ranked very high at, at the Division One level. So it's a, it's a really good event. Well, thanks so much, David. You can check out the track wrestling rankings on the track wrestling homepage. If you are listening to us on iTunes through the Mad Talk Podcast Network, go to trackwrestling.com, check out all that stuff. If you are listening to us through the track wrestling portal and you want to download and listen on the go, go to iTunes, check out the Mad Talk Podcast Network. Thanks for listening this week, and we will be back again for another rankings podcast a week from now. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.